The strange writing on this clay brick is known as cuneiform. Now, this script was used for hundreds of years in ancient Mesopotamia. Here, international presenter Gary Webster and travel with him to ancient Babylon and the island of Patmos to discover how ancient mysteries reveal the future. You know, there are some real issues in our world today and we're going to understand why some of the things are the way they are this evening. When you go to the book of Revelation, it makes it very clear that the final events on planet Earth will impact what we call the spiritual sphere of life. Notice what John says in the middle of the book of Revelation. He sees these three powers. And these three powers, a dragon, a sea beast, and a land beast, seek global worship or allegiance. Notice what John says. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. That's the sea beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. Notice, if you worship the beast, you worship the dragon, says John, because he gave authority to the beast. He says he, now he's talking about the land beast, he says he causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. Worship the land beast, you worship the beast from the sea. Worship the beast from the sea, we worship the dragon who we saw was Satan. Notice worship, worship, worship is going to be one of the key things in the end of time. And sadly, John said, as we just read, most will worship or give their allegiance to the dragon or Satan. That's a pretty serious thing. That's why God sends final messages to our planet at such a time when almost the whole world is in danger of worshipping the dragon. God sends messages to our planet. What a great God. The first angel's message says these words. Then I saw another angel. We've used to this angel, but there's something interesting tonight we need to notice. Then I saw another angel. He was flying in the midst of heaven. He's in a hurry. The hour of judgment has come, remember, the other night, saying with a loud voice, and he ends with this message, worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Three powers are seeking worship ultimately for the dragon. Now this first angel calls for worship for the God who made heaven and earth. Very clear call there in the end of time. God's final message to planet earth is worship God as creator in the world today. Now there are two opposing theories of origins in our world today when you stop and think about it origin the theory of origins number one is what the bible calls the theory of creation now these are theories because they can't be proved as such we can have evidence but we can't actually prove we can't we can't reproduce all these things now the bible's idea is creation by jesus christ in six days. Let's just read it. It says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. That's the Bible's account of the origins of our world. 
And then Paul backs this up in the New Testament. He says, for by him, talking of Jesus, by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. So that's the biblical perspective on origins. But the other one today, of course, is Darwinian evolution, which basically says, given enough time and enough chances, that's how everything has come into being. Everything came into existence by time and chance. What some of us may not be aware of tonight is that the theory of evolution is actually in crisis today. It's in crisis from some interesting people. It's being challenged by evolutionary scientists and mathematicians today. Now, we don't have time to talk about that in this program, but after the program for about 10 minutes in the uh, the function room where we had the exhibits, I'm going to talk for about 10 minutes, especially to those who are interested in this this uh, challenge that's going on today. And I'll show you why and what are the issues in that challenge by evolutionary scientists. I have a particular interest in this because I've studied uh, science at university, biochemistry, and uh, it's fascinating to see what scientists are discovering today in this area and why it's causing quite an upheaval in some parts. Now, there is a law of our minds, whether we believe it or not, whether we know it or not, and this is the law, belief, what we believe, leads to behavior, to actions. You cannot stop that. What we believe, it leads to actions. Now, I want us to think about this. Darwin's belief was this. Some races are actually more superior than others. Now, you may not have realized that, but even it's in the title of his of his book originally, The Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favoured Races in the Struggle for Life. He believed that idea. Some races were superior than others. Now, you stop and think about the logical conclusions of evolution, Darwinian evolution. There are serious consequences to this belief that we have today in our world. In fact, evolutionary theory influenced the inhuman, the inhumane policies of both Nazism and communism. There is no question about that. For both of those two ideologies, Darwinian evolution had a lot of input in those inhumane policies. And the results of following Darwinian evolution to its logical conclusion was seen in both of those ideologies. Now, Taken to its logical conclusion, evolution basically will end up having leading us to the fact that there is no God. And that's why Alexander Solzhenitsyn, that great Russian author, speaking of atheistic communism in the USSR, he had this to say at the end of it all. I want you to notice what he said. If I were asked today to formulate as concisely as possible the main cause of the ruinous revolution that swallowed up some 60 million of our Russian people, because that's how many people died and were killed during that whole thing. I could not, he says, I could not put it more accurately than to repeat, men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. The world today ought to learn from what happened in communist Europe and especially the USSR 
we should learn what happens when a world forgets God. What happened when a society forgets God? Solzhenitsyn summarized it very concisely. Now, we have other consequences to this belief in our world today. Now, I'm not blaming all of this on Darwinian evolution, but it has to share a large responsibility because the logical conclusion of evolution, Darwinian evolution, is if you push it to its logical conclusion, there is no God. That's why Richard Dawkins ends there with his book, The God Delusion. Now, if there is no God, then there are no moral absolutes in society. There are no moral absolutes. In fact, it's society that determines the moral values if there is no God. And that's why today society, because it's changing, so are the morals of society. That's why there are rising divorces in the world today. Who says it's not the best way to go? Who says that? There's no God. Who says it's not wrong to have lots of abortions just for the sake of abortions I'm talking about here? Who says that's wrong? There's no God. Society determines the values and the morals of its, for its people. And that's what's happening in our world. That's what's happening in our country, little by little. If there is no God, because we've been, this has been in our subconsciously now, we're being programmed that way down through the years because of this belief that's come in. If there is no God, then let us make very clear that That means you're all alone when the chips are down. When everybody lets you down, your husband, your wife, your kids, your parents, you're on your own. There is nobody to turn to. There is no God. And that's why today in our world, one of the fundamental reasons where we live on top of each other, never has there been such fear in the human heart as our day, such unresolved guilt and such loneliness when we live on top of one another. This is one of the reasons, not the only reason, but it has to bear a a share of the responsibility here. Darwinian evolution says you're an accident. You're just the product of time and chance, random chance. That's all you are. Therefore, there is no real meaning in life. You're just an accident. There's no destiny. There's no great hope to which we're moving. And this means that Our world today, one of the reasons we're full of a world of such low self-esteem and self-worth, this has to bear some of the the reasons for this thing comes back to Darwinian evolution. Belief leads to behaviours and that's another reason why suicide is on the increase today because there's nobody to turn to. There is no God, you're on your own, you see. Now, thank God... He has a solution. He could see 2,000 years ago that our world would be down this place where we are today. Once, 200 years ago, most people in the Western world and around the world believed in some sort of a creator God. But today, we are in the situation where we do not even believe there is a God and certainly not a creator God. We just happen by chance and time. Thank God he sends a final message and in that message there is a clarion call to planet earth to return to the belief in a creator God. I saw another angel. He's flying in the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. How did God know that such a message would be needed at such a time? 
is God knows the end from the beginning, as we've been seeing in this series. Worship me, says God. Worship me, your creator. Give your allegiance to your creator. You are not an accident. You are the creation of God. Now, how do we do that? Well, the Bible tells us very clearly how we should worship God as creator. And I thank God. It's enshrined right there in his great law of love. Right in the heart of his great law of love, which protects our relationships this way, we notice, and our relationships with fellow human beings, here is this great call for human beings to remember God as their creator. Let's read it here. Commandment number four. Notice what it says. Beautiful commandment. We noticed it the other evening. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but... The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it, he says, you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. Why? He says, for because in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested On the seventh day, therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, he says, and he hallowed it. Do you notice it there? Right in the enshrined in the heart of God's commandments, which he wrote with his own finger, is this command that says, remember, I am your maker. What parent likes their kids to forget about them? Ah, that hurts the human heart of a parent to think their kids don't care. What about the great God who made us all? Do you think he enjoys being relegated to a nothing when he loves the kids, those who even mock him and don't pay any attention to him? No, his heart is breaking for every human being on planet Earth. Worship God as creator. How do you do that? You do that by keeping his Sabbath, says God himself. Now, what is the purpose of the Seventh-day Sabbath? We're going to discover three things here now from the Bible that if only the world would recognize this, there would be a tremendous remedy for much of humanity's problems today. Thank God for this great principle that he's given us here. Let's notice the first one. The first reason for keeping the Sabbath is this. Sabbath is a sign or an omen that God is our creator. Notice what it says here in the book of Exodus. It, talking of the Sabbath, it is a sign. That word sign there in the Hebrew means an omen, a mark, something outward. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. Why? For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. Did you get it? God says our origins go back to him. That's what the Sabbath points us. Our origins go back to God. In fact, the Bible says man was made by God on day six. If you've ever read the first chapter of the Bible, In the beginning, God, it goes through the days of creation. On the sixth day, God made human beings. Notice how the Bible puts it. Then God said, let us make man in our image. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. 
Male and female, he created them. Do you see how high man is put up? He is made in the image of God. But here comes a theory that lowers man. We're just an accident, the product of time and chance. And maybe we've come from a mollusk or a monkey. No, no, no. The Bible says we're made in the image of God. It gives a great high picture of human beings. God made us in his image. Then the Bible says God rested. Notice what the Bible says next on day seven. The next day, thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. I want you to notice that word finished because we're going to encounter it again in the book of Revelation, uh, in the book of John. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and had made. I want you to notice what God does with this day after he makes man. The first thing he does for man is cause man to rest. God blessed it and made it for a joy. That's what the word blessed means. You remember in the book of Matthew, we have what we call the Beatitudes. You can visit Israel today to go to the Mount of Beatitudes where it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted and so on. What does it mean? It means all the happiness of those people. Same here. The Sabbath is made for our happiness or our joy. The second thing the Bible says, God sanctified it. That word sanctified in the Bible means it's set apart. It's different from the other days. It's not the same as the other days. God set it apart from the other six days. He sanctified it. And finally, why did God do it? Why is the Sabbath different than any other day of the week? For this reason, because God rested on it. We talk about a holy church or a holy building. Why? Because we say God is present there. We talk about this book. It's called the Holy Bible or the Holy Book because it's different than any other book. It's set apart. This is the book that God gave. So this day is the day that God set apart because he rested. It's his resting that makes it a very wonderful thing and a very great thing for humanity. All right, now let's notice. The Sabbath means rest. That's what the word means. It means rest. So God rested on the seventh day. God rested not because he was tired, because God doesn't get tired. He's the God who makes everything. He rested. Why? To spend quality time with his children that he had just made. And that's why God calls us to keep the Sabbath so we can connect with him in a a tremendous way that we cannot do the other days of the week. He's resting on that day. Join me in my rest, says our great God. I want to have, have a friendship with you. I want to spend time with you, my children. What a great picture of God there is in the Sabbath. So the Bible says, remember. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Why does God say, remember, for this great principle? He wants us to remember our roots. You know, when kids are adopted, what's one of the first things they want to do as they get older and they realize this is not my mum and dad? They want to find out 
where they come from. It's in the human heart. And God wants us to remember our roots. Our roots go back to God. The Sabbath reminds us God is our creator. Now, the Sabbath rest is for all human beings. It wasn't given just for ex- the Jews exclusively. How do we know that? Well, Jesus Christ created all of us. All of us were made by God in Jesus himself. We are all God's children. The Sabbath was made some almost uh, 2,000 years before the Jewish people. Why? Because Adam and Eve were not Jewish. The Jews came at Abraham's time, yet God gave the Sabbath way back in the Garden of Eden. It was made for all God's children. That's why Jesus, when he came, he said these words. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. You notice those two words, man, there. That doesn't mean males. It means humans. It's the word anthropos in the Greek, from which we get the word anthropology, the study of humankind. So the Sabbath was made for the human race, Jesus said, right here. And that's exactly what happened back in the Garden of Eden. Now, the Sabbath is a sign, you see, or an omen, a mark, an indicator that God is our creator. You see, the Bible says you are not an accident. You are not an accident. You're not a nobody. You and I were made in the image of God, not in the image of a monkey, not in the image of a mollusk. We did not come out of the slime pit and gradually develop into human beings. No, Adam was made in the image of God that lifts man up, you see. You and I are children of God. That's what God is trying to to help us. And so the Sabbath brings rest to the human mind because we know where our roots are. They go back to our great God. Second thing, reason God gave the Sabbath was this. Sabbath is a sign of the care of belonging of God for his children. Notice what the Bible says in the book of Ezekiel. You see, sadly, even the Israelites themselves who were given the Sabbath as well as way back in the Garden of Eden when Abraham came along and Moses was leading him through the desert. God wrote those commandments on stone, but they existed before that, of course, in back in Eden. But the Israelites turned away from the Sabbath themselves many times, probably for most of their history. But notice what it says here in Ezekiel. He's calling Israel back to God. Hallow my Sabbaths and they will be a sign. There it is again in Hebrew, an omen, a mark between me and you so that you may know that I am the Lord your God. God uses the Sabbath so that we might know that he is our God, that we belong to him, in other words. He is our God. We are his children. We belong to him. Now, how does the Sabbath show that God cares for us, as we mentioned a moment ago? Well, we need to go back here to the Sinai Desert. I tell you what, you can see why Moses called this a horrible spot. He said, this is a horrible place. And it really is when you visit the Sinai Desert, you wouldn't really want to live here. But the Israelites wandered around here for 40 years, according to the writings of Moses. You can see what an inhospitable place it is. This is an oasis here in the middle of all this stuff here. But the animals and the humans in this area, they eke out a very hard existence. 
To call this home is amazing. But the Israelites wandered here for 40 years. But the Bible tells us that they were sent bread called manna by God himself. He sent food for them and put it on the desert floor there. It's called manna. Now, it's found in the 16th chapter of the book of Exodus. This is before they even get to Mount Sinai where Moses has given the Ten Commandments. So this is, happens before they get to Mount Sinai. I want you to notice some interesting things about this manna. Now, the Bible says, In the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Now, how would they know the Lord was their God from this bread that came in the morning on every other day? Almost every other day. Let's notice the instructions that are given. We'll summarize how this, what happened in the Exodus chapter 16. Here were the instructions. Number one instruction was this. Firstly, God said to them through Moses, don't keep this bread overnight because if you do, there will be maggots in it by the morning. Now, nobody likes maggots for breakfast. Had some maggots lately, Bob? <laughs> Not the greatest thing in the world to eat. But if they kept this food overnight, there would be maggots in it, said God. Number two, he said, gather twice the amount on the sixth day. Get twice the amount on day number six. And then God said to them, prepare on the sixth day the food for the Sabbath. So get twice as much, prepare it on the sixth day so that you've got it for the next day, which is the seventh day or the Sabbath. Let's notice what it said here. It shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. By the way, that's why the Jewish people called day six preparation day because they prepared for the Sabbath. Preparation day is called in the Bible. We'll see that in a moment. All right. So day six, the preparation day. Now God said, keep it overnight on the Sabbath. Don't worry about it. It won't have maggots in on Sabbath. So they laid it up till morning as Moses commanded and it did not stink, nor were there any worms or maggots in it. Question, how does a maggot know one day from another day? This is a miracle. That's what God is telling us. God worked a miracle for the Israelites because normally every other day of the week, if they kept that overnight, it had maggots, but not on the Sabbath when they prepared it on the sixth day. A miracle. In other words, God is telling these people, our creator, whom we belong to, he cares for us and our needs. That's what God is trying to tell these people way back then. The Sabbath, you see, helps us to know that he is the Lord, our God, because he cares for all our needs. He is our provider. Now, notice what happened, however. Now, it happened that some of the people were went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. So some people said, well, what does it matter? What's the difference? God's not particular. One day is as good as the next. It doesn't matter what you do. Isn't that okay? No, when they went out on Sabbath to get the manna, they went hungry that day because there was no manna. It did not fall on the Sabbath because God was trying to teach these people, remember your creator and remember that your creator is your provider. God has not wandered off into space somewhere. No, he still cares for his children who belong to him. 
What a great teaching lesson this was for the people. By the way, notice how God reacted to them going out on another day to get the man on the Sabbath day. And the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? God was very particular. He wanted the people to recognize that he was their creator. So please rest with me on that day, God said. So what is it? The Sabbath is a rest to us because our creator provides our needs. That's the great lesson. You see, Sabbath is a sign of belonging, sorry, a sign of the care of belonging, the care of God as we belong to him. You see, it means this, you are not left to battle through life alone. And so often we think that the circumstances of life, we start to worry, we get anxious. Jesus said, don't worry, because you are not left to battle through life alone. Your God is cares for you. When everybody else lets you down, you can count on God. That's the lesson here. There's no need to give up in life. In fact, he is with you and me in every situation of life if we only just call out to him. He is with us to help us. We don't need to disobey God's commandments to survive. If God says, remember the Sabbath, he'll look after us if we remember the Sabbath. He says, take the day off. He will care for us. That's the lesson he gave for Israel and for us today. So the Sabbath, you see, brings rest of mind. I do not have to worry. My creator God is my provider. All that the world had would only remember God as the creator through keeping his Sabbath today. Lastly, the Sabbath is a sign that God makes us whole, the Bible teaches Notice what the Bible says. This is back in Ezekiel again, even there in the Old Testament. Notice this great principle. Moreover, says God, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign. And there it is again, an omen, a reminder, something outward to remind us. I gave them the Sabbath as a sign between me and them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Now, what does sanctify mean? We saw it a moment ago. It means it means made whole, in fact, and set apart for God. We are sanctified, meaning we are made whole. We are fixed up, if you like, and set apart for our great God. He wants us to be his children in that deeper sense of the word. So we are made whole, we are sanctified. How does that happen? How is a person's life made whole and how is he or she set apart for God? It comes through one great teaching and that is this. In the book of Hebrews, written to the Christians, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people, how? With his own blood he suffered outside the gate I have seen it in the lives of people I have seen it in my own life that when a person comes to Jesus Christ and accepts his death their lives are made whole again God changes them from the inside out their lives take on new meaning and new power so how is a person made whole through the death of Jesus Christ Now, the Bible says these words in the New Testament. If anyone is in Christ, I mean, accepts Jesus and puts their trust in him and makes 
Christ there, all and in all, he or she is a new creation. Notice the words that are used. They come from the idea of the power of God to create. In other words, he's whole again. God has made him or her new from the inside out if they've accepted Jesus. Now, the Sabbath reminds us of that great fact that it is God who cleans up your life and my life. It is he and him alone who can change our life from bad to good. That's the power of the cross of Calvary, says the Bible. Surely, God says, my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign, an omen, here it is again, between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. See, here it is again in Exodus. It's in Ezekiel. It's in the Bible here. You see, some people think, man, this is sort of legalism. No, it's quite the opposite, says God. God says the Sabbath is a sign that I clean up your life. It's a great sign of the power of God to change our hearts. What amazing, amazing truth for each one of us. The Sabbath, you see, number three, is a sign that it is God who makes us whole. What does that mean? We are new people. We are whole again. Not only that, we are new people and we are set apart for Christ. He is our great friend. And that means also that you and I are not only set apart for Christ, we are wanted, we are loved and we are valued because it's his death that made that possible. The death of God in human flesh. That's how it happens. What an amazing truth. Our creator, you see, is the one who redeemed us. What a, when you stop and think about it, that's how special we all are as human beings. And so the Sabbath gives rest of mind to the human heart. Now, how do you rest with the creator God? How do you do that? How do you rest with God on his Sabbath? Well, there are a few principles the Bible shares. Number one, we would need to rest on the same day God rests on so that we can connect with God. He's resting and he says, join me in my rest. So we would need to do that. All right, then this brings up an important question, does it not? But the seventh day, which is the seventh, the seventh day and so on, what day does God rest on? But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God in it you shall do no work. You notice God doesn't say on any day. He says the seventh day, not a seventh day. He specifically marks it out. Why? Because he is resting and he wants us to join him so we can connect with him in this special way. Which day is the seventh day? That's the question now. Well, fortunately, the Bible leaves us in no doubt so that we can connect with our great God in that special sense. We need to go to the cross of Calvary. The cross reveals very clearly which day is the seventh day Sabbath. And wouldn't you expect that? The greatest event of the ages to help us in this regard. Here we are at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Many people come here from all around the world, especially at Easter time, because this is the place where many believe Jesus was crucified. We cannot be sure, but we know that this was once outside the walls of Jerusalem. Today it's inside the walls because the walls have moved since the time of Christ, moved outwards. But in the time of Jesus, it was certainly outside 
the walls. Well, this is where people come. Now, let's remember, when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, he cried out these words, it is finished. What was finished? Well, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. These are the words that were uttered when God made man on the sixth day, God finished his work. Now on the death of Jesus Christ, those words come yet again. It is finished as Jesus dies. Now that is what it says here. That day, the day he died, was the preparation and the Sabbath drew near. So it's the preparation when he dies and the Sabbath is coming about to begin. It drew near and the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after. They came after and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned, the Bible says, and prepared spices and fragrant oils and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. This is the commandment of God. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared on the preparation day. Now they come to embalm his body on the first day. So let's put it up here. Here are the order of events. Very clear to see. Number one, Friday. We all know that Jesus died on good Friday. The Bible calls it the sixth day or the preparation day, which is the sixth day in the Bible. Then the Bible says the Sabbath was about to begin. So that's the day after the sixth day, which is the seventh day. The Sabbath begins. And then on the first day, we all know what happened. Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week, the day after. So it's very clear from the record of events at the cross of Calvary that the day between Friday and Sunday is the seventh day Sabbath. Now, that's very important to get that from the Bible. Now, the seventh day Sabbath has been kept in the Bible from Genesis right on through to Revelation. When you keep the Sabbath day, you're in good company. The first Sabbath keeper was God himself. The Bible records that. We saw it. God rested on the Sabbath and then he invited humans to join him. You go all the way down through the Bible, the Israelites under Moses. You move on down through the great prophets of the Old Testament. You move on down into the New Testament and the same is true. John, the last writer of the, the Bible, the, last, the writer of the last book of the Bible was on the island of Patmos and John kept the seventh day Sabbath. Notice how we know that from the book of Revelation. John was on the shores of this lonely island. You have to travel about five or six hours by boat to Ephesus or Kusadasi in Turkey to get to uh, from Kusadasi to Patmos, about six hours. John is, is, is exiled to this island. He's left from all his friends. You can imagine how lonely this old man was because he's getting on 80 or 90 by now. And all alone on this shores of Patmos, it was on the Sabbath that Jesus visited John to spend some time with him. Notice what it says here. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, meaning the Holy Spirit came upon me, and that's when he was given these great visions. Now, what day is the Lord's day in the Bible? Not what man calls the Lord's day, but what does the Bible call the Lord's day? It's very plain in the Bible. When you go back to the fourth commandment, it says, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of who? It's the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Very clear from the book of 
Exodus and the Ten Commandments, but Jesus himself made it very plain. Three times in the New Testament we read these words, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He says it again in Mark, therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And once more in Luke, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You know what Jesus is claiming right here in the Sabbath commandment? He is claiming to be Jehovah God. He's claiming to be the creator God. He says the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. That's the Lord of the fourth commandment, Jehovah. Jesus is just not second fiddle. He is God Almighty, equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit, according to the Bible. He's claiming to be Jehovah, God Almighty in human flesh. What an amazing thing. Now, language also helps us to see which day is the Sabbath, not just the Bible. If you go to the various languages of the world (coughs) and look at Saturday, it's called Sabbath. You have Greek, Sabaton, means Sabbath. Spanish, Sabado, Sabbath. Portuguese, Sabado, Sabbath. This is all for the Saturday or the seventh day of the week. In fact, there's over 140 languages for the seventh day. It's called Sabbath in around the world today. It's very clear from even the languages. And finally, even the Royal Greenwich Observatory. Because some people think, well, haven't we lost track of time? Do we maybe not know which day is the Sabbath? No, we know very clearly. The Royal Observatory at Greenwich and astronomy indicate we have not lost any idea of the track of time. In fact, it's very easy to check this up when you travel around the world, and I do this quite often. If you go anywhere in the world, for let's drop in a New York tomorrow, you will notice that the Jewish people will be keeping the Sabbath. The day before, the Muslims have been having a special day on the Friday, and then on the Sunday in New York, most Christians will go to church. You go do that in London, you do that in Cairo, you do that anywhere in the world, and it will be always the same. Friday, the Muslims, Saturday, the Jews, if they live there, and on Sunday, most Christians will worship on the Sunday. That's the way it is around the world. So we have not lost any idea of what day is the Sabbath, that's for sure. Now, Sabbath runs from sunset on Friday to sunset on Saturday. That's when God begins to keep the Sabbath himself on sunset on Friday around the world till sunset on Saturday. The Bible puts it this way, from evening to evening you shall celebrate. Notice the word celebrate, it's to be a joy, you see. It's you sh- a great joy, God says. You shall celebrate your Sabbath. Now, Jesus told us very clearly what evening was. He said, at evening when the sun set. That's the evening time. That's why the Bible says the evening and the morning was the first day. Meaning that the, 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 as the sun set and the night came on, then when the, till the sun set the next day, that's the first day. That's the second day. Evening. And morning, the Bible says, at the evening when the sun had set. Now, a second thing to do. So we should not only keep the same Sabbath that God is keeping so we can connect with him and the way God keeps it from sunset to sunset, but we should use the Sabbath to connect with God. Now, remember again that the purpose of the Sabbath is for quality time so we can connect with our God. What? Why? To strengthen our relationship this way. That's the great purpose of the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath, God says, to keep it holy. 
in it you shall do no work. In other words, don't do the things you usually do during the week. This is a day to take off with your God. In other words, how do we do that? Well, you look at the way Jesus spent the Sabbath. He went to church. He gathered with the people who were interested in the things of God on the Sabbath. We read, for example, here in the synagogue. Here is the, a synagogue in Nazareth, an old synagogue, certainly not the one where Jesus came to because this is more modern than that, but is an ancient synagogue in Nazareth. And you remember, Jesus was brought up here, and it says these words in Luke 4. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, And as his custom was, as his habit was, you see, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Jesus, it was his custom or habit to go to worship services on Sabbath, to help those in need. Jesus was accused on one occasion of breaking the Sabbath because he healed people, but he wouldn't accept that accusation. Notice the way Jesus put it. Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus says it's within keeping of God's great law to do good on the Sabbath. He made a big uh, show of that to the Jewish people that he wasn't breaking the Sabbath, he was keeping the Sabbath. Now, when you come to Capernaum Synagogue, this is a fascinating place to visit. You will notice this synagogue, it's about the 4th, 5th century BC, but it's actually built over some very old basalt foundations. You can see some of it here, this black at the bottom. These foundations are the foundations of a 1st century BC, the 1st century synagogue, meaning these foundations are the ones that belong to the the synagogue when Jesus came here and kept the Sabbath. These are the ones it's built on right here. Just outside the synagogue there on your left are all these homes. And after Jesus left the synagogue, it says he went to the home of Peter. And this is the place where they believe is Peter's house in Capernaum. There's a church built over it now, this church right here. But underneath you can see this old home and it had graffiti on the walls, St. Peter's house. Now that doesn't mean it is Peter's house, but it means it goes back a long way in time that people recognize this is possibly the place of where Peter was. So somewhere here in Capernaum, Jesus came in the afternoon and Peter's mother was sick. There And Jesus healed her on the Sabbath because it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. You can go out into nature on the Sabbath because this is God's great outdoors. And when we take our children out into nature, parents, show them the handiwork of God. Teach them about the, the great God who made all these things. They will love the God who made all of this great outdoors that uh, we have so much of here in our country. This is a great way. Connect with friends on the Sabbath. Spend time with family and friends. Visit people who are shut in. They don't get a visit because we're all so busy during the week, but Sabbath we have time to connect with people, to bring them some cheer. Spend time with family and friends. God gives us this day. Now, in closing, let me answer a couple of questions because I'm sure that even some of us here have these questions. Now, someone says, shouldn't we keep Sunday, however, in honour of the resurrection? Now, that's a very good question. Now, let me tell you that there are eight New Testament references to the Sunday or the first day. It doesn't use the word Sunday. It uses the word first day in the Bible. The Bible doesn't give names except the preparation day and the Sabbath are given names. They're the only two days. The others are first day, second day, third day, and so on. Eight New Testament references to the first day, but there's not one of those that talks about the fact that 
This is now a holy day. Not one of them says we should worship now on Sunday in honour of his resurrection. It just does not tell us that at all. Now, here's another question that someone has. Can't I worship God every day? Well, I hope you do. I certainly do. Because we should. God is our friend. We should worship God every day. But it was God who put a difference between the days, not us as human beings. Notice what God said. He said, six days you shall labour. So the other six days are different than this day. Yes, we should worship every day, but six days you shall labour and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. Please, God says, it's different than the rest. This is for work. This is not for work like you normally do. Now, here's another question as we close. Someone says, can't I keep any of the seven days holy. Isn't it just one in seven? Isn't that what the principle is? No, let's remember what the Bible says here. The Bible says very clearly, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. God made it very specific. This is the Sabbath. When some Israelites went to collect it on what they thought was doesn't matter, there was no bread on the seventh day, but it was on the other days. You know, it's a bit like this. You imagine that my wife, Marilyn, is one of seven daughters of her father, Jeff. And I'm courting Marilyn some years ago, a couple of years ago, Bob. <laughs> and I'm courting her. And, and, and Marilyn, you know, she's, she's the, the, uh, the youngest one. And I said, Jeff, I want to marry Marilyn. He says, listen, I've got seven daughters. What, what, won't any of the seven of, do you? Oh, come on, give me a break. It's got to be the one, that one, that seventh one. That's the one I'm interested in. Another way to put it is like this. You imagine, I say to my wife, sweetheart, uh, after these programs in Sydney, I'm going to meet you in Niagara Falls. We're going to have ourselves uh, anniversary, like a honeymoon. So I tell her, I'm going to go this way, but you go, you're going that way uh, around the world. You're going, sorry, I'm going via Perth because I've got some seminars to run. She's going uh, around straight to New York this way, to, to Niagara Falls this way. Uh, when she gets, you know, get, goes to catch the plane, uh, a couple of days before she said, oh, look, I, I, I don't think I'll meet him on the seventh day, I, I, or the seventh. I think I'll meet him on the, the fifth, the, the eighth, or whatever it is. Now, is she going to connect with me if she decides she'll meet me on a different day than we've arranged? Of course she's not. If I, we say we're going to meet on the seventh, and she decides to do it on the eighth, um, we're not going to connect. We're not going to find each other, you see. That's the point that God has. He says, this seventh day. Why? Because that's the day I am resting. Why? Because I made you. You are mine and I love you. Now John tells us in this final battle for global control that is taking place in which we're going to unpack as we move on now for these last sessions of ours together. A battle for global worship or allegiance, the Bible says. Remember how we began? Most will worship or give their allegiance to Satan. Most will worship him. The Bible says all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon. And in the midst of this, of course, well, the result of this, I should say, to worship Satan is to have destruction. That's the great, that's why God is calling people away from 
worshipping the, the devil because ultimately it will lead to their destruction. So he sends those final messages. And remember, that message says in the first angel's message, worship me, Jesus your creator. Notice how he puts it here as we go back to that first angel's message. Worship him. And it was Jesus who made, worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Now you will notice this is lifted right out of the fourth commandment, this statement. Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and everything else. Notice it. Fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. You see, God in the end of time, at a time when the world does not even believe in a God, let alone a creator God, the world is being called back to the fourth commandment which calls people to remember that God made us. We are not an accident. We are not the product of time and chance. The Sabbath is a sign in the end of time or an omen or an indicator that we worship God exclusively. No matter what anybody else says or does, we worship God in the way God calls us to worship him as the creator God. God says, hello, my Sabbaths. And they will be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. See, we belong to him. That we love him supremely. That's what the Sabbath reminds us or points to. We belong to him and we love him because Jesus said these words, if you love me, keep my commandments. He was the great lawgiver on Mount Sinai. He's the one who was with Israel in their desert wanderings and he's the one who sent them that manna. So when we come to the book of Revelation, we notice that God's end time people, those people who love God with all their heart, with all their soul and with all their mind, we notice that they keep his commandments. Notice what John says. The dragon was enraged with the woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God. They do not worship Satan. They worship God as creator. You see, they keep his commandments. That's what John is telling us. And it tells us why they keep his commandments. And they have the testimony of Jesus Christ. These are Christian people, you see, people who are in love with Christ and therefore who keep Jesus' commandments. You see, the Sabbath says to each one of us, your creator is your redeemer, and your provider. Every week that it comes to us, it reminds us of those great truths and how we need those today in our world. There was a little boy. He made a little yacht. Beautiful yacht. He treasured it and he used to sail it on the stream that flowed through his village. And he would have a piece of string tied to the boat and he would hold it at the other end. And just watch his little boat as it bobbed up and down on the stream. You know, the stream flowing down, he had a hold on it. Well, one day, as he's sailing his little boat on the village stream, suddenly a gust of wind caught him off guard and caught the sail. And, of course, it pulled the string out of his hand because he wasn't holding it on. He wasn't expecting it. And the boat moved very quickly downstream, and he tried to run after it, but it was too swift for him, and it vanished. Well, no, needless to say, the little kid was really upset about this. He'd made this thing. 
Well, a few days later, he's doing some window shopping in the, in the village, and to his surprise, there's his boat in the shop window, the boat that he'd made. So he goes inside the shop and he says, Say, mister, that boat in the window there, it's my boat. Can you get it for me, please? Hey, not so quick, son, he says, the shopkeeper. He says, it's my boat. I bought that boat the other day. It belongs to me. If you want that boat, sonny, you're going to have to pay for it. Well, the little boy reaches into his pocket and he bangs a couple of coins on the counter. and He says, say, mister, is that enough? The guy counts the coins and says, no, nah, you're going to need a lot more than that. A lot more than that, sonny. This boat's worth more than that. Well, the little boy, he leaves the shop really disappointed. But he thinks to himself, I want my boat that I made. He's, so he decides to go and do some, some, some jobs, some, some, some work for people around the village. He chops some lawns, uh, chops some wood, he mows some lawns and does some, and, and to raise some money. And finally, after a few weeks, he comes back to the shop, looks in the window, there's his boat still there. And he goes inside and he bangs on the table a whole bunch of coins. And he says, say, mister, that boat, it's mine. Is this enough money for it? The guy counts the coins and says, yeah, that's enough money, Sonny. So the little boy goes to the window, gets his boat, holds it to him, and as he leaves the shop, he's heard to say these words, little boat, little boat, twice mine. First I made you, then I bought you. And my friends, that's the meaning of the Sabbath. First God made every one of us. We're not an accident. We're not the product of time and chance. We were made in the image of God. And then when we went astray as a human race and individually, Jesus paid an enormous price for every one of us. That's the meaning of this great truth that God wants the world to know at at such a time when we've forgotten our maker. Let's just bow in a word of prayer to thank God for, for such a great thing that he's given us as a human race. Let's just bow together. Father, tonight we thank you for the wonderful God that you are, helping us to remember where we came from, made in the image of God. Father, we thank you for the Sabbath that reminds us that we came from your hand, but more than that, you provide for our daily needs. You've promised I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you always. Cast all your care upon me because I care for you. And thank you for the Sabbath that reminds us that we were made whole by Jesus Christ, the one who died to make us whole again and set apart for God. Thank you so much. May tonight we decide to follow you in this important command which comes from your own finger on the Ten Commandments. Help us to put our life in the hand of of our great God. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Ancient Mysteries with Pastor Gary Webster on Faith FM. Join us again same time next week to discover more ways in which the history of our world confirms the Bible and its messages of the past and future. Right around Australia, you're listening to Faith FM. Faith FM.